Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan and from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? What's up, Andrew? You tell me how you are. I'm feeling good. It's beautiful out. I'm here with you. You're back stateside in a huge week here in the United States in the soccer sense. Um, and so I'm I'm loving life right now. It's good to hear. Um, I, I Last night I was just so anxious to get this week rolling that I, I texted you and I said, we, we have to do a podcast almost to set the table for what's to come mm-hmm. and, and maybe also reflect briefly on some big stories from the weekend. So, yeah, I mean, El Clasico was... It was almost mind-boggling in what transpired. We will talk about that a little bit. This is going to be a shorter podcast because we've got a lot of content headed your way over the course of the next 10 days or so after each of the U.S. games. We'll talk about that because this is it's the week to end all weeks, my friend. But, yeah, we'll get into El Clasico in the second half of this podcast. Um, but, yeah, we, we felt like we needed to do something with the U.S. on the horizon of these three matches, the end of this cycle – the final window, and I don't know if you've been sensing it, um, but I feel like there is a an almost different energy to the U.S. soccer community right now than I have honestly than than maybe I've ever seen. There is a there. <laughs> I don't think I'm fabricating this in my own head or projecting my own U.S. soccer insecurities on others. I really feel like there has been an uneasy tension around these upcoming games that has manifested itself in all kinds of different ways on U.S. soccer Twitter and just in the minds of U.S. soccer fans. And I I wonder if I'm alone in feeling that or if other people have been feeling that as well. But to me, it's out there. There is a a palpable tension heading into the next few days. Yeah, so I I haven't been here to experience it. I, I, I literally got off the flight on Sunday, turned on my cell phone, and, you know, I was looking at the, you know, the English results, the cup games, and, and then, I, then I kind of dipped my toes into what I thought would be, yeah, of course, there's, there's always going to be tension. Yeah, I expected tension, but not to this level. And, and So you're seeing it too? Yeah, the, I, I am seeing it. I, I, I guess last week when we did the podcast from Ireland, I was in a relaxed state and I didn't really tap into or, or kind of scrape away the layers of what you said. I mean, you pumped this fatalism into the ether. I blame you for all of this. But um, no, I, I'm joking. Last week, though, you said how nervous you were about everything. And I feel like that's ramped up amongst the general soccer watching public, uh, the U.S. supporting public by tenfold since I've uh, since I've landed. Yeah. And, I, and this game is on Thursday. A ball hasn't been kicked yet. I know there are injuries. We're going to discuss those. But there seems to be such a high level of anxiety. And yeah, you, you like I referenced before, you can say that's understandable with what happened in the fall of 2017. Yeah, I get that too. But I think this is on an on a almost different level. Yeah. And, and I mean, you say a ball hasn't been kicked yet and it's Tuesday. JJ, this, this started over the weekend, I think. Yeah. You know, everybody has their club team in in the Premier League or La Liga or here in MLS. And I think once once U.S. soccer fans, their team wrapped up for the weekend, they kind of bang clicked right into okay, it's international break time. And then 
it, the reality hit everyone all at once of, oh my God, this is this is the international break. This is the one that will decide everything. And I think a lot of people started feeling that nervousness uh, over the weekend. And for me, it comes down to, to three main things as to why collectively we are all feeling this way. Number one is, is the freshest, and that is this new batch of injuries, which we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two is... Uh, the PTSD of what happened in 2017, I think that this is now, you know, that's always been hanging over this qualifying cycle, but I think now, because we're heading into the final window and it's not settled yet, I think that PTSD is really rising to the forefront in people's minds. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the third, as to why people are feeling that nervous energy, is this. I'm going to read you this tweet from um, Alex Muncy. He tweeted, I just want to paint a picture for the, quote, USMNT is about as good as we could ever expect crowd. Since the 1998 World Cup qualifying cycle, the U.S. has managed a grand total of three points among all matches with Costa Rica away and Mexico away. They've qualified almost exclusively on the other results. The reason that's making people nervous, JJ, is because what are two of these three games at Mexico and at Costa Rica where the U.S. does not get results? Now, obviously, you know, what happened in 98 doesn't necessarily equate to what's happening in 2022. It's different teams for Mexico, the U.S., Costa Rica, everything. But if we're talking about why there's a nervous energy, people can't forget that. People still remember those games, the important games that happened in those places and those countries and and how the U.S. couldn't get results. So when you combine these three things, I mean, it's kind of like the mother of all nervous moments outside excluding being in a world cup itself can't really get much more nervous than this um so we'll you know now we're in it we'll find out how it goes and you know a lot of people want to know okay well what what's the scenario here like paint it play it out for us it's hard to there's still a lot of permutations even with there only being three games left it's jumbled up at the top so it's hard to say exactly what is needed here's the simplest thing that i can pretty much tell you um Five points will guarantee qualification. So however you want to add that up, a win against Panama and two draws, two wins and a loss, whatever. Five points guarantees it. The other one is if the U.S. beats Panama in Orlando and Costa Rica does not win all three of its games in this window, the U.S. are through. So I think those are the two that feel the most tangible, You know that you can kind of wrap your mind around. Um, and it all leads to one thing. U.S.-Mexico is the most high-profile match you can get in CONCACAF. U.S.-Costa Rica at Costa Rica is super high-profile with a lot of history. But really, they kind of both pale in comparison to the importance of that middle one against Panama in Orlando. That's sort of the one that has to be three points. Yeah, and um, I know there's a Twitter handle that you love, MLS Buzz, Mm -hmm. and he tweeted this out, and I think this is also a root cause of this tension, this anxiety. Uh, he tweeted this yesterday, I believe, or the day before. Uh, this was Panama's last starting 11. Two players in the Spanish third division, one in the seventh-placed Bolivian club, one in Slovakia, one in a lower-end club in Peru, more of a similar standard. Ask yourself why we're feeling like we're fighting uphill just because we're missing a few players. We out-talent them by a thousand, by a million miles. People stressing about losing a few players, but then simultaneously trying to tell people that we shouldn't be so harsh on the manager are just as subconsciously wary of Bearhalter as we are. So people are feeling gracious. 
they've got Gregsiety. They are walking on Greg shells. That is a part of it. There is a, there is a still, I mean, we've spoken about this as well. We're not quite where a lot of the fan base is about Bearhalter, but it still stands that there is a significant portion of the supporters, whether you like it or not. And, and you can be, you can take, say, I think it's fair to say that Alexi Lalas would, would, would not have this opinion of Bearhalter, but you can take that opinion that he's doing just fine and qualification is, is right there, but there's, there's a real skepticism to put it mildly about this manager. I, you're you're right. I think that's a little bit reductive to kind of say the only reason you're nervous, general you, not me or you specifically. The only reason you're nervous as an American soccer fan right now is because you don't trust this manager. I don't I don't think that's fair. Um and I don't think that's speaking for all US soccer fans. But 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 I think the the point that um Mr. Buzz makes is is correct. Like we have the players to do this, we have the players despite those injuries. I mean, you're, you're right, but like, it's not just that people can say what they want about Bruce Arena. They can make fun of him. They can be mad at him for the rest of their lives. But let's let's all, you know, we joke around and, and talk about how he's the greatest thing that's ever happened. Um, let's be serious for a sec. He's a great American manager. There's no question about it. The U.S. had, I don't know, let's play the same game with what that Trinidad team was in 2017. With, with where those guys were playing versus where those American players were playing. We can play that same game, and the U.S. lost that game. Soccer's weird, man, especially in this region in CONCACAF. One officiating decision, you know, one fluky goal. You can, we know this sport. Like, you can dominate a game, but make one mistake, and that's it. You're done. Like, it's not just because Bearhalter will have failed them. There's a, any number of reasons when it comes down to it that the U.S., that, that people can be nervous about this. It's not just, I don't trust this manager. Um, I mean, and, and look, the injuries it, it, just it, add a layer to it. He's right. Like on talent, there's no there's no excuse here. And if they if this doesn't go well, like this will be a part. These are all young players for the U.S. and they're going to go on to do great things in the rest of their lives as soccer players, as human beings. But like this will always be part of their legacy if this doesn't go well. Now I'm trying I'm not trying to speak that into existence, um, but I'm just saying like that MLS buzz is a thousand percent correct on talent. There's no reason. There's no re- By the way, that applies to the Costa Rica match as well, that the U.S. shouldn't at least get a point there, regardless mm-hmm. of what the history is. So he's right when he says that. I just think it's a bit much to say the only reason you're nervous right now is because you don't trust the manager. There's a lot of reasons to be nervous. It's not just about one guy. That's my personal thought on it. Um, yeah. In terms of how the, you know, we talk about how this tension is manifesting itself online. Here's a few things that I've seen just in the few, the last few days, JJ. Uh, this tweet from, uh, this speaks for everyone. This is from Alex Calabresi, who's, who tweeted, I have PTSD from 2017, so please don't mind me being overly anxious. I'm sure many people feel the same way. Hashtag USMNT. Uh, USMNT thoughts tweeted like there's just like now there's anger out there uh usmnt thoughts tweeted to any media that see this it's getting really old that you guys ask for passionate fandom on one hand then decry toxicity when educated soccer fans dare have an opinion did we mean anything at all from those rants in 2017 or was it all for show we took it seriously like he's not wrong but like now people are just people are just spouting rage now like that's that's how some people when they're nervous they just they lash out uh christian pulisic He's he, a picture was tweeted of him from the U.S. soccer account in that tiny hat. He's mad. In the in the replies, he says to the admin, "Like, can you guys please come to me first before you tweet these pictures?" And then they deleted it. So he was probably serious. Um, 
And then, like then, there's this whole thing going on with the American Outlaws that I don't that I'm not even really that well versed in, but they're involved in some controversy. It seems with supporters groups. There's just like it's just crazy right now <laughs> with everything going on with these games as the backdrop. Uh, so that's you're not alone to everyone out there. You're not alone. Now my goal over the the remainder of our time talking about this before these games, JJ, I want to be the Chubbs Peterson to all of your happy Gilmores. All right, I want to ease the tension. Just easing the tension, baby. Just easing the tension. Don't add baby, please. Stop That's what he baby. says. I'm quoting. I know. The I know. Movie. I, I right? know. But you're not allowed to say just baby. easing it's... the tension, baby. So that's what I want to do. I want to ease the tension. Now, before we do that, we have to deal with some of the harsh realities, and that is, like I mentioned, the injury situation. Um, so let's throw. Let's roll through it, JJ. You tell me as I go through some of these names here how devastating these could potentially be or not be. Uh, no Matt Turner. He has actually, for whatever we want to say about Zach Steffen, Turner's actually started in goal for eight of the 11 games in this cycle. Uh, so I, I, don't, I don't love that at all. I really don't. But uh, the manager has already made this decision. Were they both fit, Steffen would be starting. Well, but he's just coming off of an injury spell as well. I guess we'll right. find out. So if, right. if Horvath is in net, then we'll find out and, and realize that, well, that might have been that might have been Turner. And Hor- we, Horvath's come, Horvath has kind of, uh, I was going to say wheedled. It's not that's not the fair a fair word to say, but he's he's wormed his way into the Nottingham Fire start, starting eleven, and and he's made and the start, most of it, and 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 played well against Liverpool. So and I I like Horvath too, but you know not ideal, definitely not not ideal. Uh, no, Serginho Dest. This happened over the weekend. His 212 minutes per goal involvement is the fourth best on the team, behind only attackers Pepe, Ferreira, and Pulisic. Uh, ball progressing, skillful, uh, defensive attacking. It, it, he's a, he's a big loss. Definitely, he gives us. He gives. We've seen him give give us this team goals. He's also cap- so capable of creating, and he gives the 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 opposition defenses huge problems. Big loss. And then we came to find out over the weekend that Brendan Aronson suffered an injury in the warmups. There was. Loads of confusion around this. First, it was he's still traveling to the U.S. He'll be day-to-day. And then it was, you saw Taylor Twelman tweet, no, 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 this is two to four weeks, forget it. And then shortly after that, officially, what was it, a partial tear of the MCL? Yes. Um, which I think they're saying is a three- to six-week injury, which... Even it won't require sounds, surgery. Yeah, that's it, that sounds light to me. I, I was almost relieved to hear that, but... Uh, our worst fears realized he will not be a part of these three games as well. Um, a, a regular, an ever-present almost. Mm-hmm. A blow. No question. No question. And again, uh, compounds the attacking versatility of the side to lose him and Dest together. That, that's almost, it's a, it's a package of woe. Yeah. And then finally, the last one, which we've known about for a while, but now it's now it's taking form, no Weston McKinney, who is, I mean, I know that there was the weird start that he got off to in qualification, but I would say over the last several months, you can make a case he's been the best player on this team. Uh, one note, him and uh, McKinney and Aronson, only two players on the team with 10 or more shots and 20 or more recoveries in this qualification cycle. That's a that's a lot to lose. So Yeah, and, yeah. and you think about that, I mean, I, I I'm really just zoned in on, on Thursday night. So you, you think about that that Mexican midfield and having them go the other way and having uh, 
that kind of that kind of attack and and you look at those three emission or not emissions those three absences, players yeah. absences it's, yeah it's it's not good no. it's not good no we go but again, we go live to Joe Girardi for comment it's not what you want not not what you want yeah but what do we do I mean we have to have we we've been told there's been depth in this side we've questioned it at times particularly Canada away um where we the team did not function we have to just roll our sleeves up and and, and get on with that and at the same time be anxious i this is it's going to be a rough few games it 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 just is um <laughs> it, it, it just from a nervous tension standpoint just i mean the performances might very well be there we hope they'll be there and the results too but this yeah it's it's enough to make you uh to make you worry i agree I you know I I still do understand very much the argument of that it's still a good team. Like look at all the players, they're still good players. Um but these are not bit parts that are suddenly missing. You know, these are guys that are reliable pieces that have been pivotal um for the US. So if you're nervous about these injuries, you're not wrong. You're not overreacting, you're not crazy. Like it, this is a bad time for this to happen, undoubtedly. Now, let me be Chubbs Peterson. Here's what we have to feel good about, JJ. This is important. We have to we have to do this. Um, we're still really good. Like, let's start with Polisic. So the last time we saw him playing with the U.S., something was off. We all talked about it. He even talked about it afterwards. Um, but then he got the goal, and then he went back to his club with Chelsea, and he's been really good for them. He's been one of their better players over the last, I don't know, month or so. Important goals in the Champions League. Like, he's... He's doing his thing. Uh, so now he's coming back to the U.S. and he's in the kind of form that we always wanted him to be. So feel good about that. He might be the best player in the team and he's playing really good soccer at the moment. So let's not disregard that. That's, that's important when your best players are playing like your best players. You know, look at, we're spending so much time on the guys who are hurt and rightfully so. But like, don't let that cloud who's now back. Gio Reyna is back. Yes. Really important. And not just important to have him back. Like, he's been back for Borussia Dortmund. Maybe he came back even quicker than we thought. And he's played well for them. He's immediately reacclimated himself, assists, and now he's coming back to the U.S. Like, yeah, we've some players have been lost. But don't let that discount the players that are returning. So, yeah, I don't know exactly what he'll be able to give them if this will be three appearances in a substitution role, maybe one game where he doesn't play, one where he plays all 90, one where he's a sub. I don't know exactly. Only Bearhalter right now and the fitness team there for the U.S. know exactly what he's going to be capable of giving them. But, you know, as I'm going through all this, just remember, like, like it, Panama is the game that matters. So if that's the game that he can give you 90, like Mexico and Costa Rica, high-profile games, that would be great. You need to win Panama. And so... Like Gio Reyna returning and playing in that game is hugely important. Um, and then, like, you know, Tyler Adams, still here. Tim Weah, who's been vital in qualifying, still here. Anthony Robinson, who we've said has made himself indispensable, still here. Like, and, the, those who, and those of you who wanted to see Jordan Peefock, possibly. Like you're talking to one of them. He's there. Right. You know, and look, looking at fullback, the Dest injury like you mentioned, it sucks. Like that that hurts cuz he's important in both attack and defense. But like 
We're not talking about him getting hurt before the World Cup group stage. Like I just said, we're talking about beating Panama. All right? Yedlin, Cannon, Bello. I'm not trying to be arrogant here. Those are good players. They're all good enough to achieve that. Beating Panama. That's the goal. Obviously, more has to happen, but ultimately, that's the game that you got to win. These players are good enough to achieve that. So, like, there's still... There's still a lot of reason to feel good about this team. It's not going to be the exact 11 that you would hope for when this is all put on paper before qualifying started. When we got to this point of a must-win game, we all had our, our ideals of, oh my goodness, Pulisic, McKinney, Dest, Reyna, here we go. We've been waiting for this. It's not going to look like that. But what we've come to find out in qualifying, in the Gold Cup run, there's some depth here. Now's when it matters. So I'm still I'm not thrilled with the situation, but I'm not, you know... It's not the end of days, all right? I, I think that there's still reason to feel good. Be nervous, sure. You're human. You're a fan. Like, we've spent years building to this moment. But stay positive, all right? The sky is not falling. These games are going to be hugely important. It's going to be fun. Let's go. Let's go, man. Feel good about it. Our uh, Panamanian listeners are screaming now at, the, at, at, at their various devices trying to tell you, you know, we've beaten you already. And they're right. They're right, but I think even they would say, like, this game in Orlando, they're huge underdogs. They know that, too. I'm not saying it's impossible for them to win. It's any, Anything can happen in this sport. That's so cliche, but, like, it's never more true than in soccer. Um, but, like, the U.S. have a more talented team, and my hope is that that manifests itself in a victory. doesn't always but that's what you should believe going in. We're better than them. I don't think that's arrogant to say that. I know we've spent a lot of time over the last five years trying to practice less arrogance, and I think we we have. Um, but like, <laughs> uh, I, I failed massively. <laughs> we all have our moments where we got to be checked, of course. But like, the U.S. have a better team than Panama. They they just do, um, and now it's up to them to to show that. It should have be you, fun. Um, have you, uh, are you going to reveal what our plan is for our pottage this week? Well, we're kind of, I mean, I don't even know if you and I have talked about this. I, we, let's let's hash it out right now on the show. So, I mean, obviously they got to play Mexico at, at, what, like 10 o'clock at night. Just, just make it 3 in the morning. Why don't, let's let's not stop there. Let's keep going. But So, <laughs> they're going to play at 10 Eastern. Yeah. Uh, and You're- I fully, I mean, I haven't talked to you. That pod's coming out that night. Oh, it's happening that night. Right. There's no point. I mean, you're not going to uh, get a few hours sleep on it. Forget about no, no, it. No, it's it's, it's going to be blurted out even if you have to hide yourself under some kind of canopy. Again. <laughs> uh, that pod's coming out that night. So look for it either super late at night if you can't sleep or early in the morning. And there will, be, there will be enough of you psychopaths out there who will be literally pressing refresh at 2 a.m. Right. So, uh, so here, here's what we have not talked about yet, JJ. Panama. Sunday, 7 o'clock is kickoff for that one. Yeah. I will be in Philadelphia. For my, my sister is getting married in May. COVID's Who? weird. My sister, COVID's weird. There Your are, sister got married already. I know. There How are many no, times does she want to get married? There are no rules anymore, JJ. Don't you understand? COVID weddings only count as half a wedding. We have to oh, have the other half now. God's sake. <laughs> All right. Oh. So 
No, but, I'm, I'm. But, but I'm it's, this you. isn't her, the wedding, though. This is actually the bridal shower that was canceled. Oh, uh, and what are you in, doing at COVID. the bridal shower? Well, my my wife is obviously going. They want the kids to show up at the end. It's my sister. I'm supposed to go show up at the end with the groom and all the dads and everything. So, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm. And I want to see my nephew, who's only a couple months old. So we'll all be in Philly, and I've got to figure out my viewing situation. Now, here's what I'll tell you: there will be a pod that night. Oh, yes. There Good will man. be a pod. I just Good can't. Man. I can't. Tell I'm, you I'm glad exactly. you. I'm glad you and your whole family won't be consumed by the bridezilla that your sister. <laughs> don't, has no, this is not. Don't be like that. Look, a lot of people who had weddings planned during the early part of COVID, it sucked, and they're trying to. They still want the experience. I don't fault anyone for that. You know, but but you need to tell her. She, it's not like Mario. When, you know, like he, he gets the second, uh, he gets the flower, like he gets the mushroom first and then he's super and he can shoot fireballs. Like being double married is not going to make her any any stronger of a person. Ah. It's just fascinating to watch. Her situation is not, it's not just her. I've seen this with other cases too in COVID wedding situations. But like she's gone, this, this will now be tiny COVID wedding of just immediate family followed by... Having a kid, followed by bridal shower, followed by second wedding, followed by bachelorette party at the end of all this. It's like it's, everything is nothing makes sense anymore. She's I, I, I'm concerned. And, and you know what? Her husband better get ready because she is renewing vows in 10 years. You just know it. Uh, so so I don't know where I'll be, what my viewing situation will be. But I can tell you this. I will be watching. And we will do a pod that night. And then, God help us for the Costa Rica match, say a prayer that it doesn't mean anything. If it does, if it means everything, I think it's a 9 o'clock start, I believe, Eastern time. I know that's late a little bit, but we're, we are we got to watch that together. we got to be holding hands, um, maybe lighting some incense in the room. Um, <laughs> Cleansing. I th- yeah, I think... Uh, that I just imagine if that game means everything at Costa Rica, where the U.S. don't get results, like the feeling among the fan base. If this is how we feel now, imagine what Monday, Tuesday, and the build up on Wednesday are going to feel like. Uh, tension rising. Just easing the tension, baby. Easing the tension. Uh, so let that all simmer. All right. We'll go ahead, take a quick break. Um, when we come back, JJ. Uh, we got to talk about what happened in Spain over the weekend because that was one of the results of the year in any league. Uh, so we'll talk about that. I know you got a couple other things you wanted to mention with Leeds and Everton and PSG. So we'll we'll do that quickly. But the bulk of it is going to be uh, our thoughts on uh, El Clasico. He's in tension. He's in tension. All right, let's go ahead. We'll take a break. Be right back after this. <laughs> Back now on Caught Offside. I'll be curious, JJ, just to put a bow on some of our U.S. build-up talk. Um, I'm kind of curious what people's uh, viewing situations are going to be for this. Like, are is this one of those kind of like, I got to watch alone? This is like, close the door, draw the shades. I yeah. I, I, or is this like group mentality let's be together let's let's collectively will this i want to beat when when Pulisic scores i want to hug someone uh, you know i want it when it's over i want to i want to buy shots for everyone that i'm with I, I like which one which one is i'm now i'm kind of a group guy i like when when a goal happens i like having people around to celebrate with i get that and 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 
I understand it, but I think the lead in, I think the tension's too much for me. If I put myself in, 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 in previous, in a previous, you know, supporting life where I, I mean, I still follow the Republic of Ireland and there are still games that I want to go out and watch with other people, mm -hmm. but like a lot of the high tension must win games. Um, I, I need to be on my own. I need to be able to watch and listen to the analysis pre post halftime, the whole thing. I need to, I need to be sweaty alone. I get very, <laughs> I get clammy and nervous in the big games, definitely. And I need, I need to do that alone. I need to marinate in my own, uh, my own nervous juices. Yeah. And then, um, and then, if it goes bad, I'm a, I'm a big, misery loves company guy. Like for me, it's weird. Mm. I become very aware. Like if I'm truly devastated after a loss, and I'm around people that don't care at all. I, I become like very aware of my own feelings. Like I'm upset and I know that to these people I look weird and like I, I just I don't like that. I like being around other people that can relate to exactly how I'm feeling. Even if no one speaks. Like when when things go badly, you watched Trinidad with me. We were together for that. I didn't say a word probably from like <laughs> the entire second half, basically, until we had to hit record. Thirty minutes afterwards, no one spoke. I mean you sat like staring at a screen, hitting refresh, hoping that the Panama result would come out different and that we'd somehow bundled our way over the line. Right. Um, so I remember like, that clearly. So e but even I, if no one talks, like I just like being around like-minded individuals that know what I'm feeling for better or worse. So I, I agree. I agree with that part. And, and it reminds me of uh, my first full year out here when I was, when Liverpool blew it, uh, the defeat to Chelsea at home with uh, Steven Gerrard slip. Mm hmm and I was, I left the 11th Street Bar and I kind of, I actually, I watched that game at home and then I went to the 11th Street Bar after the game <laughs> just to be amongst people right? and to, to commiserate and I sat beside a guy, I'll never forget it. And I knew it was over for Rodgers then and I knew it was over for that Liverpool team. That was their winning window. Suarez was going. And he was the driving force behind that team. So this was it. It was over. So that my levels of depression were much higher. And this kid is beside me and he starts talking to me and he gets all the beer mats, the salt shaker. I think it was a salt shaker. I can't remember quite what I guess it was. And he starts arranging what the team would be for next year. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to do him a, a mischief. <laughs> I was like, no, we're not. It's too soon. It's only like, 45 minutes after the game ended mm -hmm. and you were talking about next season. No, no, no. This needs to stop. And we have Palace on Monday or Tuesday or whenever that was. So I understand that oh, kind okay. of misery loves company. Thing. Anyway, we, we've got to get on. Andrew. I know. But, but talk about. I know. But Thursday, Sunday, tweet us your pictures. I want to see like what's your what's everybody's viewing situation. Tweet them at CO Soccer Pod so we can maybe we'll, we'll retweet some of the cool ones. We've got a big group shot. We'll take them all. We'll take them all. I'll be curious about that. Yeah. El Clasico, JJ. Here's the thing I wanted to ask you about it. Mm. Is it possible for a team to be simultaneously brilliant and horrifying all at once like Barcelona won this game 4-0 it was a travesty that they did not win at 9 or 10 nil the chances Correct. that they were missing left and right on any other day like if Real Madrid had, had shown up and this ended like you know I don't know 4-4 or like 2-2 or something like uh, we'd be looking at this saying these chances that Barcelona are missing are are truly like troubling uh, but they were spectacular in that 
you know, they, they shut Real Madrid down completely. This was as one-sided a game as you can really have between teams of this caliber. And we didn't even know that Barcelona were really of this caliber. This is kind of the moment where that's now crystallizing. This was, um, this was wild. This was absolutely wild. Uh, I'll take you up on the we know Barca are a team of this caliber crystallization point in a second because I've been wondering about that too. And I'm, I'm not sure where I land on that yet. But this was a game where particularly at this, I think it was the start of the second half where Ferran Torres could have had a hat-trick, hat-trick within 90 seconds. Uh, there was chance after chance. Every ball forward, every run forward by Barcelona was a chance of some sort, usually a big one. Now, the XG was like 4.18 or 4.81 or a cat. I mean, that was, that to me seemed way off. Um, but agree, this yeah, won't be forgotten. This, this one won't be forgotten in terms of its humiliation, but I also think that it could have been another level. You know, they, they could have given this a name, mm-hmm. you know, like some kind of like the, some kind of moniker that we remember it forever and ever because, like you said, it could have been nine or 10 nil. Now, I've been listening to people explain why this kind of happened. Um, like to my mind, like Real Madrid were just whatever they did, they were just so open and they and and Barcelona were able to plow through that midfield. A lot of people are saying that it's because Modric, uh, not having Benzema, Modric played that um, false nine role and that just opened up their midfield. And it was just a collection of things that went wrong after that. Then in the second half, there was further tinkering where Ancelotti went to three at the back. That one was the one for me. <laughs> it's like they became... So porous. It was, porous isn't the right word. Uh, there were ravines <laughs> opening, like wonderful, spectacular ravines that you would take your family or maybe propose to your girlfriend at. They were so cavernous and huge and wonderful. You would Real Madrid offered ravines that could give you sunsets that you would for, remember for the rest of your life. That's how open they were. They yeah. were like um, a field in Oregon. Just so much space. It yeah, was, but it, it was, it was crazy. And I was listening to Gil, uh, Guillaume Balaguer say that he'd never seen this kind of football in his life from from anybody in any game. <laughs> Just wide expanses, and that's why when you say Barcelona were actually horrifying, if you want to look at that in that kind of different way, yeah, it's kind of true. Um, and 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 that made Guillaume pause and and kind of. Um, step back a bit from what was tweeted uh, uh, by um, the Barcelona centre-back and captain Gerard Pique who said Barca's back we're back Mm. and like I don't think you can be back from a result Uh, and and by the way Xavi's done a great job and this team is so so much better but any team you know there's lots of other teams who in, in their midfield setup will be way better than Barcelona were at the weekend. So a couple of things. First off, I want to address what you talked about with the sort of space, basically Real Madrid's defense in this game. Um, what was so shocking about it was that it wasn't just like Barcelona found like a weak spot somewhere and exploited that over and over again. No. That weak spot, it was in every level. It was in every, yeah. like I think about, there's a few kind of individual moments I think about. I think about, um, was it the second goal? Can't keep track. When Usman Dembele just he gets it on the wing and like just torches Nacho, just by him in a flash. Like yeah. 
Nacho could they could not keep up with him with Dembele. I think about that. I think about I and mean, this isn't really an individual moment. You saw it a lot, but like the amount of space that Frankie De Jong had as he was getting the ball in the middle to just pick out passes. I mean, it must have felt like a training session for him, like a seven v seven, like something right. like that. And then the other moment I think about, like, so we've got the wing, we've got kind of the middle third, and then I think about a moment for Barcelona that didn't even result in a goal. I think it was the third or fourth minute of the match that sort of gave you an insight as to how this might go. Um, Obama Yang um, gets it at around the, like, it's, it's played into him at like six yards out from net. And JJ, there's, <laughs> there's no one near him. There's Real Madrid defenders kind of like out like along the perimeter of the 18-yard box, and like he's got all day. He touches, settles, and shoots, and it's if not for a brilliant save, it remains nil-nil at that point. But I just thought, like, how I don't know if I've ever seen a guy with that kind of time to settle and shoot in that sort of position. This was everywhere. Uh, so I, I don't know if Real Madrid or just if this is kind of like a letdown from their PSG win. Uh, I, I it's and not being able to account for Barcelona just being up for this, almost like this is a cup final for Barcelona and Real Madrid kind of just had theirs against PSG. I don't know. It's hard to say, but it was pretty shocking. Now, to the point that you were making about Barca, if they're back or not, if this result is the moment where you can say that. Here's one thing I would say is that, okay, maybe the way this played out exactly was a fluke's the wrong word, but was flattering a little bit to Barcelona and where they're at. You could say that. I don't know that I would fight you on it. But I will say this in their defense. This did not happen out of nowhere. Five, no, it didn't. Five straight road victories in all competitions. And this was after they entered. They had had five road wins in all competitions all season until that point. They've, done, they've now got five straight. They're unbeaten in 12 straight. They haven't lost since January 20th. And in those 12 games, they've scored four goals in half of them. In six of those 12, they've got four goals. So... Something is happening here. Whether or not it's enough to say they're back, you're right. Maybe that's premature. But something is clearly clicking with this manager and this team. If I could, if I could, yeah, and I agree with you. And if you, if if people want a, a more in-depth tactical look at what has been changing over the course of the last few games, not just the hammering of Real Madrid, uh, John Muller does a really good piece for the Athletic about Xavi's four-three-three and. It's that's why it's not right to say that Barca are back because they're not doing what Javi's Barca used to do. This is different and it's more tailored to the players that they have. But w- one of the key paragraphs in the piece is that the central midfielders are runners now. Hmm. So he said the most surprising thing about Javi's new uh, style 4-3-3 is that he's coaching his young midfielders to operate in very un like ways. <laughs> As a player, Javi's position was dictated by the ball. So he's talking about how this team is, um, can I use the word more kind of more more dynamic in that it, in, in its running and in, in, in the way that it plays. So you can imagine if you're uh, Casemiro and Tony Cruz, and you've kind of been left exposed by Luka Modric, who's not in there with you, and by the rest of the players, uh, Valverde and Rodrigo, how you can be overpowered by that, and and maybe that's how a lot of the gaps um, were formed. Uh, at the weekend in the game, but it was, I, I agree with Guy and Balaguer. I It's rare you see a top flight game like that with just so many chances. I also saw one, one other thing on this before we get off it. I also saw a tweet from Miguel Delaney about how the Messies, i.e. the Messi organization, I guess mm-hmm. you call them, 
um, they're talking are about are they are trying right now to this is what uh, Miguel tweeted that they're trying to uh, organize a return to Barcelona. Hmm. Barca don't want that, Andrew. I think you're right. I don't think they do. I think the direction they're moving in now and just talking about running, I don't see how this would work. I mean, Xavi has said that he he does not – I'm kind of paraphrasing. I'm trying to find the quote. But he essentially he said he does not – if you're not willing to press, you can't play for me. Hmm. And I don't know if that's where Messi is at in his career, if he wants to to be kind of you know running in that way. However, Marca today, for what it's worth, I'm just giving you both sides. We're committed to both sides. Uh, Laporta's advisor signing Holland and bringing back Messi not impossible. So clearly, the Spotify stadium money has been not is going to be dipped into if that's the case, or the. I don't know whatever hedge fund they're trying to trying to get money out I of mean, now. Look, with regards to Messi, I mean Holland is one thing. I think they would love to have him. Um, as for Messi, that's a that's a weird one for them to navigate because there, over, there are I, I, you might very well be right, but I think there are a lot of fans in Barcelona that I mean it's like telling you know if Michael Jordan came out of retirement another time and said, I want to go back to the Bulls, like there will be fans in Chicago that will forever welcome him back 100%, with a red carpet. So Barcelona have to navigate this. They they cannot be blunt. They cannot say, no, nah, we're good. Like that can't be it. They have to at least publicly entertain it. Whether or not they, what's being said behind the scenes, Xavi might be saying, look, you know, I love the guy to death, but I don't think he fits with what we're doing. And they might know that and it may never happen. But they ha- they got to tread lightly because they've got a fan base to think about here. And the way that Messi is remembered by those people, like I don't think they can just brush it off publicly, at least. No, you're right. You're right. Um, but yeah, this was this was unbelievable. I, last thing on that for me with, with regards to Xavi, um, I think it's I, I wonder how important it is that, you know, he was a leader there when young players like PK and Busquets were kind of emerging you know, Xavi, I think, was a player that a lot of guys looked to and admired. And so the fact that PK and Busquets, I guess Jordi Alba even to a certain extent, the fact that they're still there and probably still have those like th- those feelings of reverence for Xavi, I want like everyone now falls in line. When PK Busquets, when your leaders feel this way about the manager, will do anything for him, have that kind of relationship with him, Pedri, like all the young guys will will fall in line. Um, you know, even the guys you worry about it. You know, look at what Obama Yang is doing, uh, and and this this move for him, this change of scenery, what it's done to his career. He's been unbelievable since getting there, um, and I think a lot of that starts with the on field leadership feeling this way about this. I mean, did you see the video tweeted afterwards of of Xavi in the tunnel at the Bernabeu, and like each player kind of coming up to him and just like the love, the mutual love between him and this team. Like it's, I don't, it didn't look fake. It did not look fake. It looked like no. there's there's real feelings there between this team and this manager. So hey, listen, we've seen Javi's laws. He's been a disciplined daddy, and and now he's reaping the rewards. Yep. Uh, so there you go. Four nil. Props to Barca. That had to feel just in a in a stretch of a couple years that's been rough for them. I mean, let's put all the financial troubles and things aside. That must have just been a glorious day for Barca fans to uh, to live. All right, uh, before we get out, I know you had a couple things, JJ. I'll, I'll let you run with this on Leeds, 
on uh, on Frank and Everton and what oh. and what what's going on there. Yeah, sure. I just think it's worth noting, and I. I, I just find it so hard to dislike this guy. I've I I was lucky enough um, in my early time out here to to see Jesse Marsh at close quarters, um, often arguing with with fourth officials in a very kind of respectful uh, Ivy League manner. Uh, but uh, another win for Leeds, and they did not make it easy for themselves. Uh, they were two 0 down, came back to win at Molyneux versus uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers. A huge win for them. Uh, a couple of more wins like this, and they'll start to feel much better about where they are. Um, Leeds, this is such an interesting one. Uh, Daniel Story on iNews had this. Leeds had lost all of their 47 previous Premier League matches where they trailed 2-0 at halftime. Hmm. So for them to come back and do this is is quite something. Uh, but he did caution this. Leeds were wretched before the red card changed the game. They have barely changed under Marsh in recent games. The chaos, the shambolic spells of defending, the pressing that looks a little compartmentalized rather than in synergy with one another. If they play like they did in the first half at Molyneux for the rest of the season, they will not collect many points. But that could be the kind of galvanizing win. They were expected to beat Norwich. They did it late. Another late victory against Wolves, un- unexpected victory. Maybe this is the thing that uh, that propels them forward, but we will see. Um, Everton, crazy few days for them. They grab a vital league win versus Newcastle and then fall apart in the FA Cup to Crystal Palace 4-0. And many people are saying, I'm doing the thing people are saying, <laughs> but they are saying this, not just me. Um, Frank Lampard appeared disheveled and falling apart a little bit in his press conference after the 4-0 FA Cup quarterfinal defeat. He had some things to say, let's put it that way. And uh, he accused his players of lacking the bollocks to play. Uh, This is a direct quote. There is only so much you can keep trying to butter someone up to get confidence. You're playing at the cutthroat end of football. This is the FA Cup quarterfinal. If you haven't got the confidence to play, you can flip it and say, have you got the bollocks to play? Apologies, but that's the football term. Hmm. I don't know if this is a tactic that's going to work. Um, Now, I should caveat everything by saying Burnley are atrocious, and I think that Everton will be okay. But I don't think that if you've got, what, nine or ten games left in the league and you're in the relegation struggle that Everton Everton are in, that if you are talking about this, about your players, that this is a, publicly about your players, that this is a good way to go. And again, Lampard went on to say the tactics, it wasn't a tactical issue. The tactics were fine. Uh, We saw that in the first 20 minutes where we pinned Crystal Palace in. So again, those hands are getting all lathered with soap and he is kind of uh, stepping away from responsibility for these players. Now, I, I wouldn't argue with him that these players are not good and this is not a good team as a unit, even in some cases individually. But and, and that these problems existed before, which he keeps saying these problems have been here before before I arrived. I get that. But you've taken the job now. And I don't know if this kind of public humiliation is helpful. Yeah. And he's probably doing it because I wonder if there's part of him that kind of sees his managerial life flashing before his eyes. Yeah. Right. Um, and so he, you know, we he's talk in protection we, we, mode. Right. We talk about we see this. We've seen it with Mourinho. We've seen it with lots of managers where when you're getting near the end, potentially, and it's not going well, you're kind of like your your post-match interviews almost become like job auditions 
Like you need to kind of convince future employers that this is not my fault. Look at what I'm dealing with here. And by the way, it was awful before he got there. So like he he's probably not entirely wrong. There's a there's everything wrong with that club right now, personnel wise. Um, but he's not doing much to fix it. Uh, no. So um, let me move on. I mean, we should have really hit the Lampard and Jared watch. Uh, missed opportunity. But we didn't. Yeah. Which is a shame. Uh, Joey R. Uh, kind of, he he asked us kind of wonder what proper football man has to say about this at JJ Devaney. Nick Miller has an article. Stephen Jarrett seems to think that having sixteen operations and pins in his hip are noble battle scars rather than indications that players should get a bit more protection. So basically, Arsenal beat uh, Aston Villa. Uh, Bakoya Saka Saka had a brilliant game, and in his aftermath comments, he asked for. He felt as if he would want a bit um, more protection. He said, I wasn't complaining to the ref, but I just wanted to let him know that that's my game, running at players with pace, and sometimes I need a bit more protection when players are purposefully trying to kick me. And Gerard responded with, uh, it's part of the game. The last time I checked, it's it's not a no-contact sport. I think tackles are allowed. Physicality is allowed. He's a good player. He's an outstanding talent, and I love him, but he can't complain about that side of football. That's football. I'm sitting here now with screws on my hips. I've had about 16 operations. I'm struggling to go to the gym at the moment. That's all the back, all on the back of learning, earning a living in English football. He learned, and he learned quick. Hmm. Now, um, I don't understand uh, Jared's comments there. I, I, just because you went through these terrible injuries and and this grueling and he really did the end of his career was a at liverpool in particular was just awful trying to fix his groin fix his hip all those things like why would you why would you say that's just the way it is and that's the way it should always be for young players coming through i mean i don't get it and um and i know gerard came into the game the end of the late 90s uh, at, at the late 90s early 2000s when the game was a lot more physical in England and it was fast and it was frenetic and you could get, you know, contact was there and there was players out to hurt you. But like, we don't have to have, you know, Kevin Muscat stalking the landscape, kicking people like he did um, famously to, to, um, to, I mean, many footballers recall how physical players like, I'm not picking on Kevin Muscat, but the game's moved on. We don't have to, you know, teach him a lesson. I, I don't understand that uh, that mentality. If I, if anything, protecting someone like Saka is a good thing. Mm-hmm. If they're fouls, they're fouls, and he deserves protection. Physicality is still there. I mean, the game has the game ever been faster? Probably not. So um, I didn't quite understand that from Steven Gerrard. And finally, Andrew, yeah. PSG get hammered by Monaco um, in the league. They will win the league comfortably, but uh, in PSG terms. Uh, this is all falling apart a bit for Maurizio Pochettino. And um, Mbappe had this to say afterwards. We lost to a great team who were playing to get into Europe. That's Monaco. They were determined and carried out their game plan. I hope they get into Europe. They deserve to win. The goal is to go for the 10th league title. The rest doesn't matter. Even if we win 8 or 9 nil, people will still be thinking about the Champions League. We must remain professional and respect each other. We have to respect the fans who support us, the people and our families. You have to respect yourself. If you have a shred of respect for what you do, what a perfect response from him. Yeah, Marquinhos said it's a t- catastrophe and difficult to digest. It's our worst game of the year. Um, but there's a general sense that this is not going well. 
Ma- no, imagine I mean, look, he, Mbappe's right in that once they were ousted from the round of 16 of the Champions League, like their season has been defined now. There, that's it. The book is written. It's closed. Like it's a disaster, and nothing can change that. Uh, and like you said, they're going to win the league anyway. But none of it matters anymore. So all they can do is like whatever professionalism they have from within. That's what that's what they have to lean on now. Because uh, Mbappe's right, they still have fans who care, and there and there are people who are paying a lot of money to watch them play. And so like they have to find motivation elsewhere because like there's. The, I can only imagine how deflating going out of Europe was for them, and that's it. Like this, this is the legacy of this PSG team that was supposed to, you know, at least waltz to the semifinals. Um, and I wonder what this does now for Pochettino and and the jobs he's been linked with, the Manchester United job. I mean, are people looking at this and thinking? Uh, I still, his rep takes a hit. Certainly, mm-hmm. I still think that he will be highly coveted. Yeah. Um, just the nature of what he's achieved and the options available to teams like there's not usually going to be a ton of that level of manager available only going to be a couple only going to be two or three of them so um he'll still if he wants a job he'll get a job without a problem that's what i that's my thoughts on it and uh that ends jj's roundup which will become a regular feature i'm sure (laughs) so there we go my friend that about wraps it up we will be back Thursday night slash Friday morning. I don't know how all this is going to go. All I can say is we're all going to get through it together. All right? Breathe. Think think good thoughts. Let's, let's, let's really breathe some positive energy into the atmosphere. This is still a good team, people. All right? There's no reason to believe that a little over a week from now we shouldn't be celebrating. Okay? Think positive thoughts. We're all, we're all going to get through this together. You and me as well, JJ. We'll get through it together. I look forward hand, to it. Hand in hand, Andrew, shoulder to shoulder, we will answer this call. That's right. All right. That about wraps it up. Thank you for listening, everybody. Like I said, tweet your pictures, your viewing situations. Uh, maybe we'll, we'll retweet some of the good ones. Should be fun. Should be fun. We'll talk to you all later this week. JJ, to you, I say. Take it later, fun boy. See you later, man. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 